Jesus gonna be here He's gonna be here soon for coming out on this uh, Labor Day weekend. It's good to see you all as we, uh, as we have the opportunity to, uh, to worship the Lord together. I'm glad that you are, are with us. Um, before we get to our, our text for this morning, I do want to just kind of g- give you a brief update, um, <clears throat> specifically as it relates to um, some of you have been asking uh, uh, about our response as a church to Hurricane Harvey and to those who uh, find themselves in Texas um, challenged by the unique circumstances of the devastation of the storm. And we've been working um, uh, and, and on several fronts. Uh, one is to really just kind of understand how, how the response goes. And if you've been following this, um, you know, first of all, waiting for the rain to stop in order to be able to actually figure out how to address the issues and how to actually help. And so this is going to be, as with a Hurricane Katrina, this is going to be a long process. This is not going to be something that happens uh, that they recover from uh, anytime soon. And so uh, we will have a, a consistent and a long-term approach towards being able to help. Initially, we uh, have uh, released $6,000 that have gone to Rob and Jack, Jackie Passer, and through, who are our missionaries and through Crisis Response for the Free Church. And so uh, many of you know them. They've been with us on many occasions. And so... Uh, they're already there. They're on the ground, and they're um, they're trying to figure some things out. And so, uh, we've sent sent money uh, in support of them. I've also been in contact with uh, Revive uh, Free Church here, as well as a couple of churches around the country that might be able to have a, a joined effort. That we may be able to send teams as as the people on the ground are able to receive these teams. And so, there's a there, we're we're continuing to explore. In the meantime. Uh, what we can do is, first of all, we can be in prayer. If you haven't been, then, then let me encourage you to do so. I'm assuming that you have been along with me as you've seen the pictures and people's float, people floating around on boats that were, used to be streets, right? Um, and, and so we want to be just in prayer. Um, this, the second thing then is we have the opportunity uh, to be able to give, right? The opportunity to give. And you can, uh, if you would like, you can give here to the church and designate it for crisis response. Uh, we'll give an opportunity for special offerings specific for specific things as we know more. And as, as, the, as the plan continues to roll out, we want to be involved. And so we'll be on the forefront of, of that. So uh, just continue to keep be uh, joining me in prayer as well as uh, your support, and then we'll keep you posted as things come along. So let me, let me just pray uh, for Houston and for the, the surrounding areas and then also for our time in the Word this morning. Father, we thank you for this Labor Day weekend that we get uh, here to, to enjoy sunshine and we get to enjoy some leisure and we also get to enjoy worshiping you in our facility that is dry and that is safe and secure. But for other brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, in the Texas area and in parts of Louisiana, who this morning are not able to come to their churches as is their normal routine to worship you, but rather find themselves surrounded by water, displaced in other places. 
And Father, we recognize that while they are displaced from their homes, they're displaced from their churches, from their work environments, they're not displaced from you. And so I pray that those who are in you, that that you would use them, those who are Christians in those churches, I pray that you will use uh, the people who are there, that they will show the love of Jesus Christ in very real and tangible ways. I pray for Rob and Jackie Jackie Passer as they serve, that you will give them wisdom and guidance uh, because there's great wisdom that's needed in order to be able to know how to be able to help and how to be able to serve most effectively and faithfully. And so we just ask that you will give them wisdom and their team wisdom. And we look forward to the opportunity for us to be able to go and to serve um, and show your love and show your support and show your faithfulness for those who are some of the least and lonely and lost and left out now because of this devastation. Father, we pray that somehow out of the ruins of this, there would be restoration and there would be renewal and that the interactions of your people with the people who don't know you, who are far from you, that, they, that somehow through this, you might draw them to yourself. Father, we now come to your word. And we now, as we uh, come to you, asking that you will use your spirit to enliven your word, to open our eyes that we might be able to hear from you this morning. And it's in your name we pray all these things. Amen. One of the things uh, I realized as I reflected in my own heart and as I was studying this week and looking and just considering and studying and watching all these things, one of the things I realized about myself is that I I, I think I like to be noticed. I don't know if that's, I don't know if you join with me in that, but I I realize I like to be noticed. I like when I walk around for people to make eye contact with me and say hello. that's, they don't do that here in Minnesota. I don't know if you know that. You, a lot of times people just walk right by and, and, and don't say hello. It's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, but I like to be noticed. I like for people to know that I exist. And I wonder if you're like me. I think that you are. I have a sneaking suspicion that, I mean, there's some of you that, that totally don't want to be noticed ever. I, I get that. that but that's, that's a rare person, I think, because I think most of us want to be noticed. And I know that because I've been to Twins games, and I see the crazy things that people do in order the camera can actually go over to them, and they're waving around, and they're singing, and they're jumping up and down, and, and so that they can be noticed. And this past week, I was, or, or actually within the last couple of weeks, I was talking to a woman who had been at the State Fair, and she went to the State Fair, and she went to the Care 11 barn, right? Have you been to the Care 11 barn? It's a great barn if you're into barns. It's not really a barn. Um, it's sort of a barn, and that's where they do their TV shows, and she happened to be there for one of the TV show shootings, and she got on TV, and all of a sudden, her Facebook page just lit up because all these people noticed her because they saw her. And you know what? She was telling me because why? She enjoyed being noticed. I wonder if you enjoy being noticed, noticed by your crush, noticed by your teacher, noticed by your boss, noticed by your spouse, noticed on the ball field. Sometimes, as you know, people do crazy things in order to be noticed. Just go on YouTube. You can find lots of examples if you're interested. People do crazy things in order to be noticed. What I've wondered is how many times we have actually thought in our lives if we've been noticed by God. And are we living a life that would actually be noticeable to the eyes of the Almighty? When was the last time we actually gave serious consideration to the fact that the gaze of God is on his earth and is his gaze on your life? Has God noticed you? Isaiah chapter 66 is our text for this morning. 
just a couple of verses at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 66, just the first few verses we'll look at together. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to join me in Isaiah chapter 66. If you don't have a Bible, then there's a pew Bible in front of you, and you can actually find this reading on page 611 of that Bible, or you can also go to your Grove Church app, and you can open up the app, and there you can tap the Bible, and then you can find this passage there as well. Isaiah chapter 66. Let me just read these brief verses for us this morning. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hands made all these things? And so they came into being. These are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit, and who tremble at my word. Let's pause there. We begin with God's words. God speaks. He begins with, and sometimes we have a tendency just to kind of breeze through these things and take these things for granted. But God begins by, Isaiah begins by saying in, in chapter 66, verse 1, this is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord said. This is God's words for us. This is God's words for his people. If you are new to our church or you're new to just church in general, one of the things that you will notice as you come week in and week out is we take very seriously the words of God. We take very seriously the very word of God. That the, the reason we gather is not merely to hear helpful thoughts from a man, but we gather together each and every Sunday morning in order that we might be able to hear the very voice of Almighty God. And that's why we gather together. We actually believe that this is the very word of God, that God has chosen to reveal himself through his word, that if God did not choose to reveal himself, then God could not be known by mankind. But God has chosen to reveal himself, and he has done so through his word, through speaking his word, and it is before us in these 66 books that we call the Bible. And so therefore, each and every Sunday, we take a significant chunk of our time that we gather together in order that we might be able to study his word because God has chosen to reveal himself by speaking his word and then using his servants in order to communicate his word to his people so that the people may align their lives to the very things that he has revealed, the very things that he has taught. And you might be saying this morning, well, don't we already know this? And the answer is yes. If you've been here for any length of time, then yes, you of course would know that. But it's important for us to remember. Because in the midst of all of the troubles of our lives, in the midst of all of the struggles of our day, our tendency, we are, we, are, we, are, we are bombarded with so many other things that are supposed to make our life better, that are supposed to help us, that are supposed to make us the people that we've always wanted to be, that are supposed to give us better abs and bigger muscles, that are supposed to make us more significant, that are supposed to help us have our best life. All of these things that were inundated uh, more so than any other generation that has ever lived is continuing to be inundated with information, and yet it is only through the revealed word of God that we are able to know truth. And so therefore we come to his word and we come to this place and it is only when we come here that we have thus 
saith the Lord. And in the midst of a world that is spinning, in the midst of a world where, where, where truth is questioned, we come again and again to the very word of God. Why would you come from your homes on a Sunday morning, on Labor Day? Why would you come here and why would you sit here if it were not for the very supernatural work of God's spirit using his word to transform your life into the likeness of his son Jesus? And so we come together each and every week. You go home in the quietness of your own home in order to read the word of God because it is the very word. It is God revealing himself to us. This is what the Lord says. And we come underneath the authority of what the Lord has said. So what has God said? He, he, he then goes on to reveal God's perspective. God's words reveal God's perspective. This is what he says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being. God gives his perspective. God reveals himself through his word and gives us his perspective on life. God says, I want you to understand your world and your life from my vantage point. I want you to, I want you to know that heaven is my throne and that earth is is my footstool. That heaven is my throne and that the earth is my footstool. What are the types of things that we have a tendency to put our feet on? Usually not the most valuable things. My, my wife, I, I, don't, I don't understand this, but she had a requested for, I can't remember, some gift-giving holiday, I don't remember which one, this footstool, um, but it was furry. And so my, my kids and I bought it for her because she wanted it, but it's furry. And it looks like a dog with like four wooden legs, but it, without a head. And that's what it looks like. And it sheds. It sheds on my carpet. And my kids move it around. And so we have the shedding footstool in our house. And it's just the most absurd thing that I've seen. And that's what we, we, we those are the types of things we put our, our feet on. Those are the things we have a tendency to put our feet on. And God says, I want you to know that the earth is my footstool. Now, there's much talk these days about global warming and about recycling and about creation care. And there has been a significant push over many years of reducing our carbon footprint. And for some, this conversation is a conversation that is, that is surrounded with, uh, with language of doom and gloom. And from a certain perspective, I completely understand it. I, I completely understand the concern. I can, if, if, you, if, you, if you take time. But what's from God's perspective? He says, the earth is my footstool. Well, I know you have concerns. And it is right for Christians to be involved in creation care. Christians should be the first people that are concerned about the earth that God has given us to steward. But the earth is God's footstool. God is not disparaging the very good goodness of his own creation that he has made. What he's doing is providing perspective. 
I understand that this is significant. I understand that this is important for you who are in space and time, those who inhabit the earth, but I want you to understand the heavens are my throne and the earth in perspective is a footstool. And he continues on. And he says, and by the way, where are those buildings that you've been building for me? But by the way, where, where are all those great works that you are doing for me? He's not scorning those things. He's not scorning church buildings or significant works for God, but he's rather giving perspective. There's a, 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 an author and writer, Alec Mattia, and this is what he says. Human beings build these obtrusive, towering edifices for God, and yet God professes them hard to find. We have a tendency to think we're going to do all of these amazing things. We need something big and huge and significant. And he says, where, where, did, you, where did you put that? And we may rightly think, well, didn't God give... Didn't God actually give instructions for the temple to be built? Didn't, isn't that something that God actually did? Didn't he give these instructions? And the answer is, yes, he did. God did, God did indeed give meticulous instructions for how the, the temple was to be built. And he actually, he actually spent, if you actually want to take some time this afternoon, if you're looking for something to read uh, on your Labor Day holiday, then go ahead to 1 Kings and you could read chapters 5, 6, 7, 8. And you'll be able to read the very details, the seven years that it took Solomon to actually build the temple, all of the gold-plated things that happened. You can read about what he did. But then Solomon, when he was actually dedicating the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27, said this, but will God really dwell on earth? He had built this temple. He had spent seven years making sure, following all the rules that God had made so that this wonderful temple would be built. And he says, but will God really dwell on earth? This is after they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the very Holy of Holies. And then the very cloud came down and filled the temple. And then Solomon says, will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven." cannot contain you, how much less this temple I have built. The very temple that God gave meticulous instructions, can that temple itself cannot contain God, cannot contain him. Solomon knew it. And yet we have a tendency, and, and pastors are the worst, to gather together with one another, say, oh, well, is your church growing? I mean, what do you mean? I mean, we, we have a tendency to talk, well, I mean, because we would say big, and we use like big, a huge, large, significant, impressive dollars, tens of thousands, hundreds, millions. Yes, that's, hmm. how big is your budget? And we all, we have conversations with one another about the size of the church that we attend with your neighbors or other Christians. And we have a tendency to make judgments on one another or the validity of the ministry that we're a part of or not a part of based on, based on numbers and dollars and size of, of buildings. And God says, 
The earth is my footstool. And, and where were those huge things that you were building for me? I can't seem to find them. Because from God's perspective, he, tends, he seems to be wanting us to pull ourselves away from the way in which we have a tendency to judge things, the way we have a tendency to measure things. And he says, no, I, I, want you, I want you to think about the things that actually catch my attention, that actually catch my gaze. And he goes on to tell us, what is it that actually catches the gaze of God? Because the gaze of God is not like our gaze. He's not gazing at structures, but rather he's gazing at his servant, and he's not gazing, he's gazing, gazing at a specific kind of servant. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. The focus of God is not where we might expect it to be. You see, it's far easier to build a shrine. It's far easier to build a building than it is to follow in the steps of our Savior. He says, these are the ones to whom I will look. This is the one that I will notice. Let me tell you, God says, let me tell you what I've been looking at lately. First, he says, I've been looking at the one who is humble. Of course, as you know, in social terms, that means those who are sort of at the, at the bottom of the barrel, those who are at the bottom of the heap, the poor, the lonely, the lost, the left out, the humble. In religious terms, it is the one who says, I am willing to take the lowest place before God and for God. In religious terms, it means this, the humble person is the person who says, I am willing to take the lowest position before God, and I'm willing to take the lowest position for God. Now, we may be prepared because we've come here to worship God, and you've come here to be able to say, yes, I, I, I have no problem humbling myself before God. That's not a problem for so many of us. And yet, there is a challenge then, isn't it? Being able, to, being able to say, yes, and that humbling myself before God means that I will humble myself for God wherever God calls me to humble myself. Or in, in, in Philippians 2, to consider others better than yourself. When I do, when I do weddings, then I will say to uh, the, the bride and the groom, as a part of the, the address to the bride and the groom, that because with the vows that they have made, they are now promising before God and before these people to consider the other person better than themselves. That's what they're doing in order to honor the vows that they have made to one another. They're, they're choosing in this moment to say, for the rest of my life, I will, to the best of my ability as God allows me, to consider the needs of my spouse above my own. And I don't know if you're married, but that's really hard. Because I like me. And because I like the things I like. And sometimes my wife's needs get in the way of my needs, and I don't like that very much. And then you have kids, and you add kids into the mix, and then it's... It, mm. <laughs> get up in the middle of the night because kids have to eat. Well, how, how, 
just rude. <laughs> Isn't it though? Willing to humble ourselves before God, but then we have to work it out in relationships with other people, which means that we have to consider other people better than ourselves. We have to humble ourselves because that's what Christ did for us. And God says, you want to know who I'm looking at? Those who are humbling themselves and considering others better than themselves, that's who I'm looking at. That's who catches my gaze at home, at work, in the neighborhood, wherever you are, wherever he calls you. It's a challenge. He's looking at the one who says, I am prepared to live unsought, unnoticed, unnoticed, and unknown for God. He says, those are the ones that are catching my eye. Maybe not catching your eye, not catching my eye, but catching his eye. He goes on and says, it is those who are humble and those who are contrite in spirit. Contrite in spirit. A contrite heart is one in which the, the natural pride and self-sufficiency has been completely humbled by the consciousness of guilt and brokenness and sin. We are humbled before, and contrite before God. Our pride and self-sufficiency have been completely gone. A contrite spirit is one that stops justifying wrong choices and awakens to the depth of the brokenness of sin and accepts God's righteous condemnation of our own sin and our actions. A contrite spirit offers no excuses and shifts no blame. A contrite spirit throws itself on the mercy of God knowing that it deserves nothing but righteous wrath. Ooh, that's a contrite spirit. No excuses, shifts no blame. I, I make up some good excuses for excusing my sin, for excusing my bad attitudes, uh, excusing my uh, lack of activity for God, my lack of ability to submit myself to others for God. And, but I can make up excuses because and it shows a lack of contrite heart of being able to own my own sin and cast myself again on the mercy of God, recognizing that he does not treat me as my sins deserve. This is the contrite spirit. Here's the thing, though. I can't judge whether you have a contrite spirit or not, and you can't judge whether my spirit is contrite because I may look humble, you may look humble, you may look contrite, you may look proud, but God is the one who actually sees the heart, and he is the one who has actually determined whether your spirit is contrite or not. He is the one because he is the one who is looking and sees beyond what we see. So we need to judge our own hearts. Are you seeking to be powerful? Are you always having to be right? Are you the expert in every conversation? Do you have all of life wrapped up and buttoned up? Are you making excuses? Are you shifting blame? Isaiah, you may remember Isaiah chapter 6, the beginning of this book. When Isaiah is commissioned and he comes into the temple 
and, and, and he, he comes into the temple and then there the Lord comes and he says, I, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne and the train of his robe filled the temple and above him were seraphim. Each had six wings and two wings were covered their faces and with two wings they covered their feet and there were two that were flying and he says, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory and at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, with which he touched my mouth. See this? He touched my... He this, this has touched your lips, for your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And whom will go for us? And here I said, Here am I. Send me. Isaiah came into the very presence of God. He recognized the immensity of God. He recognized that the heavens couldn't contain the glory of Almighty God, much less him in front of him. He's there in the midst of the immensity of God, and there he says, I was completely undone. When we recognize the immensity of Almighty God, then what does it do? How do you think Isaiah, his, how do you think he approached God? Here I am. Send me. I don't know. Probably not. Because he had an encounter with Almighty God, just a bit of the glory of, of who God is. I wonder if his posture wasn't. I'm I'm here. What's the posture of your heart? I wonder. If we have a tendency to be, here I am. If we don't need to wrestle with the immensity of Almighty God just a bit more. So that we come with a contrite heart before him. He says, I look to those who are humble. Those who have a contrite spirit. And those who are sensitive. Sensitive to the word of the Lord. There's a story in Ezra about Ezra, Ezra chapter 9, where the people of God are, are not following, they're, they're, they're intermarrying and doing what God had, had told them not to do, and the word get back, gets back to Ezra, and he tears and rips his robes and begins to start pulling out his hair and pulling out his beard, and he's, he, he sits down in complete disgust and appalled by the sin of the people before God, and then in, in Ezra 9, 4, it says, and everyone who trembled at the word Everyone who trembled at the Lord gathered around him. All who trembled at the, at the word of the Lord. The people of God were not sensitive to the, to the word of God. But then Ezra sensitive to the word of God and the people who are sensitive to the Lord coming around. Is there a sensitivity in your heart towards the very word when God speaks that you take it seriously in your life? So school starts this week and just two days from now. So let's take a test, shall we? Just to get, just get the juices flowing. 
I know many of you are out of school, so it's, you need your juices flowing. Let's test our own hearts. Are you humble? Have you been willing to humble yourself before God? And maybe that's where some of you need to start because you've never come to a point where you've humbled yourself before God and recognized yourself a sinner in need of a Savior and recognizing that He is the very Savior that you need. Start there. But if you've been there, then are you humbling yourself before God and also humbling yourself for God? Are you humble? I think it's fine to ask for humility. I think it's fine to pray for humility. I think it's better if you just be humble. In your words, in your attitude, in your heart, in your actions. Be humble. Are you growing in contrition? Are you growing? Look, I know it's hard in this world because we have to, t in order to survive in the world, we have to tell everybody how great we are. We have to send everybody our resume. We have to tell people, and, and we try, and, 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 and on Facebook, it's always pressure to tell everybody how fantastic our life is. I know the pressure that's there. And yet, are you growing in, cont in, in, in contrition? And I know church is sometimes the hardest place to admit that you're having difficulty. You know, when things are tough. Because you know things aren't going good. And you walk in and everybody's going, how are you doing? How are things? Well, and you know that their life isn't particularly good, but they're convinced that their life is particularly good. And you go, I, yeah. Are you growing in contrition? Not making excuses. Are owning our own sin. Repenting of that. Being, having a contrite heart before God. And thirdly, are you sensitive to his word? Are you trembling at the very word of God? When your greatest desires and the very word of God are in conflict, who usually wins? Just in case you don't know the answer, it ought to be the word of God. That's where the struggle comes for me. It's not when God and my desires and God's desires align. I like that. It's when they come in conflict with one another. And that's when my lack of humility, my lack of, my, I, where I see the growth in my ability to be contrite before him. You know, this description, humble, contrite, trembling before the word of God, this describes the person I aspire to be. This describes the person that most days I fear I'm not this describes what I need to be you know what it also does it describes what I might be you know that today I'm I've been challenged by this just, just, just taking the test in my own heart and yet you know I don't have to be great in the eyes of everybody else I don't have to be huge and significant and powerful and amazing and influential. You know what I need to be? You know what catches the gaze of God? Those who are humble. Those who are contrite. Those who tremble at his word. You know what? I can give that a go. 
Can you give that a go? I can't control all that other stuff. But this, this we can do. This we can do right now. And may God, by his spirit, encourage our hearts and help us humble ourselves before him and before one another to grow in contrition, dealing with our, and owning our stuff and trembling at his word. Let me pray and ask God for his help. Father, we need you by your spirit to encourage our hearts. And we know, I, if, if I've, I've been challenged by this, Father. I long that I might be the type of one that catches your eye, a child that brings a smile to your face. And Father, in so many things, I want to do grand and great and wonderful things. And yet you say, the one to whom I look is the one who is humble and is contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. May we be those kind of people today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.